So I want to introduce today's scripture because I, we, are only, we only have one reading today, and that's not typical. We usually have at least two. But today's lectionary text from Ephesians that um, David will read for us in just a minute, it's pretty dense. Um, it was all I could do to pull it apart in one sermon, to be honest. So there's enough material there that I I thought it could stand on its own. It's in this passage that we hear the author, who we don't really know for sure is Paul. It could be Paul, but it's probably not Paul. It's probably someone fashioning this uh, letter after the style of Paul. Uh, We hear the author talking about our struggle against the spiritual forces of evil and standing against the wiles of the devil and, and more, a lot more. The topic of evil is it's complicated, it's, and it's vast. Um, and we'll, we'll just barely scratch the surface today. But if there's one thing I learned in seminary, and, and this is really true, it seems kind of odd, but it became more and more apparent to me that just as much as we all need to understand our relationship with God and with Christ, we also need to grapple with the topic of evil and what it means to us in our lives and to the world. Um, So let's listen to David. Today's scripture lesson from the letter to Ephesians, chapter 6, verses 10 through 20. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his power. Put on the whole armor of God so that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. For our struggle is not against the enemies of blood and flesh, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers of this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God, so that you may be able to withstand on that evil day, and having done everything to stand firm. Stand, therefore, and fasten the belt of truth around your waist, and put on the breastplate of righteousness. As shoes for your feet, put on whatever will make you ready to proclaim the gospel of peace. With all of these, take the shield of faith, with which you will be able to quench all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. Pray in the Spirit at all times in every prayer and supplication. To that end, Keep alert and always persevere in supplication for all the saints. Pray also for me, so that when I speak, a message may be given to me to make known with boldness the mystery of the gospel, for which I am an ambassador in chains. Pray that I may declare it boldly as I must speak. Holy wisdom, holy word. How many of you know the term, this veil of tears? It's an old-fashioned term. 
And I used to think it literally meant a veil, like what you put over your face, and that on this side of the veil was this life and the tears, and on the other side of the veil was heaven, and no more tears. Well, it turns out veil means valley, which some of you may have known, and I did not until I read uh, today's text. So this, this term literally means the valley of tears, or of weeping. And where do we get this term? From Psalm 84, it turns out, which we read today in our call to worship. Uh, the term comes from the Valley of Baca. So I was reading this and I thought, you know, that, that sounds a little bit like Psalm 23 uh, and the Valley of the Shadow of Death. So I thought, well, what's this Baca? What's that about? Um, and so I started looking into the commentary and about oh, three hours later, I smelled burning from the kitchen. <laughs> you know how I can get. But I mean, the commentary for me, that's, that's where the riches are. Uh, but I won't go there because probably bore, bore you. Turns out, though, that the translators who uh, translated the Bible into Latin, which happened about 400 years or so after Christ's life, they didn't know what Baca meant anymore. It was probably known in biblical times. But it was clear from the context that this was a dry, desert-like place. And so life would have been hard there. So they translated it as the Valley of Weeping. Or the Vallis, Valley, can we, can we get the slide up? There we go. Or the Vallis Lacrimosa. Echoes of thousands of years ago that we still carry in our language today. Don't tell me this is not a living book. I just love the research. But um, what does the psalm say? As they go through the Valley of Baca, they make it a place of springs. The author of the psalm is, is saying that those who have strength in the Lord will literally bring forth springs from the desert, life from death, joy from sorrow. They will go from strength to strength and therefore bring life even into the deserted places. So I have to ask each of you today, what are the deserted places in your life that need the strength of the Lord in our text from Ephesians, there's almost an echo of that phrase, from strength to strength. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his power. So I want you to hold on to those two phrases as we dive into the gospel text. How do we go from strength to strength in the Lord and bring the water of life into this valley of tears? So the letter to the Ephesians has been a vision for our unity in Christ and the church's mission in the world for thousands of years to theologians from Thomas Aquinas to Martin Luther and beyond. But its language is complex, and I think it's kind of confusing, actually. For example, in today's passage, we hear the author talking about our struggle against the spiritual forces of evil and about standing against the wiles of the devil. So these are kind of mushed together in the text. But if we think about it, they represent almost opposite theologies of evil. On the one hand, we have evil as a spiritual force. On the other, it's embodied in the devil. Well, which do you believe? And are they compatible with each other? Is evil embodied just as God is embodied in Christ? Is there, in fact, an antichrist? The devil taking human form. Or is evil more of an unseen force operating on another level to pull us away from God? What do you believe? Here's another one. The author says that our struggle is not against the enemies of blood and flesh, but against the rulers, 
against the authorities, against the cosmic powers of this present darkness. Well, which is it? Against rulers and authorities, who certainly are people, not forces? Or is it against cosmic powers, which certainly are forces, not people? And how about that next line? The spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Do we believe that the forces of evil can literally invade heaven itself? Okay, I'm going to stop asking you questions, and I'm going to tell you what I think. In my understanding, no. No, that is not how it works. Uh, The idea, the very idea that evil could invade heaven, just no. Heaven is the place where the angels are constantly singing the glory of God. There's just no room in, in heaven for evil. That's why it's heaven. So I, I'll share a story about that. I was visiting a woman, uh, this was several years ago when I was just starting my pastoral ministry, and she knew she was dying, and she told me she wanted to speak with me before she died uh, because something was deeply troubling her. She needed to sort this out. And so I sat with her, and we prayed together, and she shared something uh, that she rarely spoke about that was very painful from her past, that as she was growing up, her brother had abused her. And her brother was dead now. He'd been dead many years, but she was still haunted by that abuse. And I sat with her, and as so often happens, what was really troubling her came next. Uh, It was hard for her even to say it out loud. When I die, she said, I am so afraid that when I go to heaven, my brother will be there. And she just cried, that awful thought, that this person who was her tormentor in life would be waiting to torment her forever in the afterlife. I took her hands, and I said, you know, there's a reason they call it heaven. And if people who wanted to hurt us were there, it wouldn't be heaven. Uh, One thing I know is that if your brother made it to heaven, it was only through the grace of God, and therefore he would be there either as a totally transformed person, begging your forgiveness, asking how he could redeem himself, or he would not be there at all. There is just no room for evil in heaven. It's not how it works. Some of you may remember the movie A League of Our Own. Uh, Tom Hanks played the very reluctant manager of an all-female baseball team. Any of you remember this? In the scene where there was a woman who, he was yelling at her just as, you know, if she were a man, and she started crying. And the look on his face. And what did he say? There's no crying in baseball. It's a rule. It's a rule. Well, there's no crying in baseball, and there's no evil in heaven. It's a rule. It's just not how it works. But it is. It's complicated. And I get that. And, And just like the text is complicated, I think we all really, really need to grapple with what this means to us in our lives. In fact, I got stuck a few times as I was working on the service today. It happens. I get stuck. But I have a couple of tricks that I use. Usually I have all my books around me as I'm working. I have my Bible. I have my hymnal, my reference books. And one trick I have that never fails me is I'll reach for a book and I'll open it. Just let it fall open. And it works every time. (laughs) Let grace be the guide. And in this case, I picked my hymnal for uh, one of the hymns for second service. And I let the hymnal fall open. And sure enough, there it was. Hymn number 110. A mighty fortress is our God. 
It speaks right to this. Now, I grew up on that hymn, and I love it. I do. And it was my grandmother's, one of my grandmother's favorites. That doesn't mean I agree word for word with its theology. If you want, you can open up and look, but I'll share some of those words with you. For still our ancient woe, our ancient foe, doth seek to work us woe. And though this world with devils filled, the prince of darkness grim, Jesus is the right man on our side, and he must win the battle. Well, there you have it. The battle between good and evil. Jesus triumphant over the prince of darkness. So I want to ask you again, is this how we see it? Is our God a kind of super general leading us in a war against the devil? Is that how we picture the text from Ephesians that talks about putting on the armor of God? Is it something like this? I found this online in a Bible study course. I bet you could order that outfit if you wanted to. (laughs) Superhero. All right, let's take it a little further. If this is how it works, what does it mean if God doesn't win the battle? Well, Satan won, right? Well, what if Christians are fighting against Christians? What does that mean when somebody wins? Is anybody who opposes us our enemy? And therefore not on God's side. Is that how it works? I once heard a seminary student say exactly that. We were being asked, who is our enemy? Anyone who opposes me. Wow. You know, I was kind of stunned by that. This person was certain. Aren't sometimes the people who oppose us our best teachers? Who know us so well? And who have the moral courage to say, you know... I don't think that's in your best interest. I don't think that reflects your best self. Or maybe someone who doesn't know us at all, but holds an opposing viewpoint that we may be able to learn from. So, no, I don't believe Satan is a person, and I think there are very real dangers in that theological position because it can lead so easily to demonizing people. Uh, Jesus didn't demonize people. He cast demons out from people, for sure. Maybe a topic for another time, but I think that's because he brought the kingdom with him. He brought heaven with him. And what? There's no room for what? There's no room for evil in God's kingdom. But to be honest, I don't care, really, if we talk about evil as a force or as the devil. I don't believe in an antichrist, but we need to talk about all of this from the personal level. The personal experience of being pulled away from grace that St. Ignatius called temptations to the social level. We need to we need words to talk about social evils like human trafficking or the bulldozing of that mosque or that uh, church in Syria last week that was a haven for Muslims and Christians alike uh, by ISIS. Now is that the work of the devil? I'm more comfortable just calling it evil. But I don't really at that point care about the words. We, I think we know what we mean. I had a friend who taught physical education at a Christian school. She used to tell her students, kick the devil to the curb. That works for me. I'm okay with that. Because the point is that there is real evil in the world. No doubt about it. And that as followers of Christ, we are called to oppose it. No doubt about that. No doubt about that. So how do we 
oppose evil without giving it our own strength? I think this is a very important question. If we go back to the text and we reread it as not literally putting on armor, and I know that's not how you read it, I know that, but as putting on spiritual strength, how does it look now? How does it sound? Fasten the belt of truth around your waist because truth is a spiritual strength. And we know that evil is always based on a lie. We know that. Put on the breastplate of righteousness. I had somebody at first service point out, and that doesn't mean self-righteousness. Good correction. Because righteousness is a spiritual strength, and we know that evil is never honorable or upright. And this is my favorite. As shoes for your feet, put on whatever will make you ready to proclaim the gospel of peace. What is it that makes you want to share the good news? Is it prayer? Is it walking in the mountains? Is it singing? Whatever it is, put it on your feet and start walking because you know evil never stands still. And all of these spiritual qualities, they strengthen our bond to God And at the same time, they weaken those forces of evil, whether they are at work within us or in the world. That's how we go from strength to strength. That's how we bring springs into the desert, whether it's our own deserted places or the deserts of social ills. That's why we say, I would rather be a doorkeeper in the house of my Lord than master in the tents of wickedness. Let's just take this home now. Why did Jesus tell us? Why does Jesus tell us to care for the meek? Because they're vulnerable to the forces of evil. So we need to protect them. That's the church's work in the world. Why does Jesus tell us to comfort those who mourn? Because when we are mourning, we we feel forsaken. We feel alone. We feel without God. So Jesus tells us to bring God into that place. Why does Jesus tell us to feed the hungry, clothe the naked? Because when we're hungry and cold and alone and afraid, we can start to doubt God. So we need to turn that around. Why does Jesus bless the merciful, the peacemakers and the pure in heart? Because mercy and peace and compassion are some of the deepest spiritual strengths we can cultivate in order to bring Christ's kingdom. There's just no room for what? There's just no room for evil in the kingdom. And that's our work, isn't it? So I'll just close with this. uh, Because I do believe we need to protect ourselves. I do. uh, To stand firm in the Lord. And so in your bulletin, there's an insert that Wendy so kindly printed out. It's a poem some of you may know. Um, it's called St. Patrick's Breastplate or The Deer's Cry. And we have a, there's a song, a, a sung version of this that I just want to overlay. I want to take that image of the, the armor and the shield and just kind of overlay it with the message in this poem, which is armoring ourselves with Christ, strengthening ourselves in the light of Christ. Can you play that? As we listen to this, you can read along or just listen. I think it's beautiful. The sun, radiance of moon, splendor of fire, 
Will you pray with me? Christ our shield, Christ our safe harbor, Christ who leads us into the world, into the valley of tears, and who waits for us in the kingdom, Christ who invites us every moment of our lives to share in the kingdom with him. We thank you. We bless you. Just as you bless each and every one of us. 